Today's episode is sponsored by Europa Universalis, The Price of Power by Agear Games, which is now live on Kickstarter. This is a faithful adaptation of the acclaimed and award-winning grand strategy video game, Europa Universalis 4. Get ready to transform your nation from a feudal state of the late Middle Ages into an early modern global empire. The game features a wide array of historical events, mission trees, and advancements. Manage the internal machinery of your empire. Explore distant continents and expand your trade network. Forge alliances or make plots against your opponents. Then, crush your enemies swiftly. Govern, trade, conspire, conquer. That's Europa Universalis, The Price of Power, a forex game of empire building by Agear Games. Check it out on Kickstarter today. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about the issue that, that I get more emails about, the number one thing, the number one problem people tell me they have and it's time, time management. It's how in the world do I design games, publish games, pitch to publishers, go to conventions, all those things while I have a normal day job, while I work nine to five, while I've got these kids, I got all these responsibilities. How in the world do I get that done? Today, we're talking to Jason Brooks from Brooks Pun Games. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Gabe. It's great to be here. Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk to you. You've got some uh, some tips, some tricks, some strategies on how people can basically flip the switch and go from trying to find time and turn that into making time to get things done. I'm excited to talk to you about this uh, today. Like I say in, in, in the intro, this is the number one thing people struggle with that they tell me that they have this problem. It's something I struggled with for a long time. I still do, you know, a certain degree. I'm nowhere near, <laughs> I haven't arrived yet, but I feel like uh, this is something that people can improve upon in, in a few just like nuanced ways. And so I'm excited to talk to you about some strategies here in a minute. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Uh, sure. Excellent. So I am a, a father of four who has loved games his whole life, like many uh, designers. I actually got into game design about four years ago. I was actually at an event with Mensa called Mind Games, where they bring uh, about 300 people together to play 50 or 60 brand new games over the course of a long weekend. And you have to learn a game, play a game, and rate it. And based on the results of that weekend and 300 people testing all these games, uh, several of those get the Mensa seal of approval to be able to put on their game. And coming out of that weekend, I saw so many games and so many designs that I was inspired to say, hey, this looks like something that I can do. I'm real excited about that. And uh, went back home and instantly uh, started working on my first design, uh, which was awful. Uh, but it got me started and uh, passionate about the hobby, and I have not looked back since. Yeah, very cool. And so all right, when we're talking about day jobs, tell me about your day job so people can kind of get an idea of what you're really working with. Because you're, I don't think you're just sitting at the convenience store, you know, customers come in every now and then you've got a little extra time here and there. Like, well, tell me about your day job. Sure, absolutely. So uh, the work that I do is uh, business consulting or management consulting. I've been doing this for about 20 years now. And uh, the company that I work for is a local model. Uh, so from a consulting standpoint, uh, I go out to different clients all around the Chicagoland area and essentially help them try to fix their problems uh, or issues that they have that uh, they want um, external help on. So I'm typically at a client uh, 40 to 45 hours a week 
And um, uh, my uh, average time at a client is about a year and a half. So it feels like getting a new job every year, year and a half, two years, as I keep moving over to new clients. So I'm constantly having to learn new things. Um, but uh, I do it all for the same uh, local company. So at least uh, I've always got that home to go back to, um, where I've also got some leadership responsibilities as well on top of my client delivery. So um, my weeks aren't as predictable. I don't get to control them as much as I like. Uh, but since I've been doing this for a long time, um, I at least know uh, how to adjust and uh, get used to some of that variability that is inevitable in uh, the work that I do. Gotcha. And now with consulting, that's that's a lot. That's a lot going on. You know, one thing I, I have an advantage as a teacher, I have a planning period each day where I've got roughly 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, normally I print out tests or create worksheets or, you know, work on whatever we're going to do that day or the next day. But there are sometimes I'm like, you know what, I'm going to work on a little game design right now in this 45 minutes. I don't have anything else going on. And that's a huge advantage for me to be able to do that during the workday. I'm assuming you don't have quite that advantage with the consulting. Is that right? Uh, I definitely do not have that advantage. It would be nice. Uh, but uh, yeah, when I'm at a client, uh, the expectation is that I'm billable. So I'm very hyper-focused on uh, uh, paying close attention to them and being active in the meetings I'm involved in there and the responsibilities that are put in my plate. So I typically am unable to carve out time during that uh, nine to five window. Um, I do have a little bit of flexibility since um, sometimes I'm at my client, sometimes I'm at my, I'm at my home office. Uh, when I say home office, sorry, the um, uh, my consulting company's office in downtown Chicago. So I do have some back and forth between there, which creates some commute time, uh, which is one of the things I want to talk about around an area that I tend to uh, slip in game design during the the, uh, the days out or during the workday, um, if I've got that chance. Yeah, very cool. All right, so one thing you, you we were talking about before we started recording was how you kind of started learning how to flip the switch, how to make time, even before you got into game design. So tell me about that, and then we'll kind of go into the game design aspects of it. Sure. I would say that uh, for a lot of my life, I wasn't great at time management. Uh, I've uh, always been um, wanting to work on things. I've always had hobbies, and uh, it's very it was very common for me to say, oh, this is something I want to do, but I can't make time for it. Uh, several years ago, um, I got uh, uh, divorced, um, and uh, about a year or two after that, uh, on all the time that I had with my kids, I realized I'd been using a lot of that time to work and um, wasn't putting my focus on them. And a switch went off in my head that said, look, if I know what time I'm going to have my kids on a, you know, throughout the course of the month, whether it be on certain weekends or certain weeknights, uh, since that's the time I have them, I want to make sure I'm focused on them. Uh, so it was a definitely a life-changing moment for me when I realized uh, and made the decision that when my kids are with me, I'm going to put my full attention on them and give them all the attention they want and whatever it is that they need, because I've got enough of the rest of the week to fit in the other stuff that I need. Uh, and that, um, what we call compartmentalization of my time and deciding during this period, I'm going to make this my number one focus, uh, allowed me to then apply that to other um, parts of my life ever since then. And it's really helped me create the time that I want for the things that are most important to me. Yeah, very cool. And so it sounds like you, you started living intentionally and really making sure you're being intentional about your time. Is that kind of the, the, the switch that got flipped? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I heard uh, some great advice. And to be honest, it may have come from uh, a very early episode in uh, the BGGL podcast. But one of the things I started saying to myself, uh, if I heard myself say, oh, I would love to do this, but I don't have time for it. Uh, so if I was thinking, oh, I would love to spend more time with my kids, but I don't have time for it. I would reframe that and say, I would love to spend more time with my kids, but it's not a priority for me. And when I say that and it hits home, then I realize 
oh, uh, I need to make that a priority. Uh, and that's really helped me shift um, shift gears in terms of how I look at time. And if there's something I want to do, I ask myself, is that a priority to me? And if it is, then I will actually schedule that time for it. I don't think a lot of us uh, actually realize just how much time that we waste. So when I uh, take an intentional look back at my time and look at where I spend a day, um, wherever I'm, uh, uh, I, you can actually find quite a few time wasters all throughout that day. So if you um, take an inventory of uh, uh, you know, each 15 minutes and where that time's going and what you're working on um, and recognize that, oh, I'm spending two hours surfing social media or spent 90 minutes playing a video game last night, uh, you realize that you're prioritizing that over all the other things that you want to do. Um, and by looking at things that way, it really helped me uh, shift my intention. Yeah, absolutely. And and just changing your language, changing your vocabulary. And I remember that episode mm-hmm. and I was talking about that. Uh, just changing it from, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I, you know, I, I can't find the time to, this is not a priority. Just in changing the vocabulary right there, the semantics, it hits home in a different way because all of a sudden it, it's realizing that I am choosing this versus something that is just happening to me, right? And it kind of puts you in the, the position to kind of feel that responsibility and feel the weight of it. And I think if, if we just live that way in general, right, being more intentional about how we live, not just game design, just life in general and saying, no, this is not a priority f- for me right now. And how does that feel? <laughs> whether it's with our families or whether it's with our day job or whatever it is, you know, our, our faith, you know, just saying, no, this is not a priority for me right, t- right now versus, oh, I don't have time or, oh, I'm not, you know, finding time. And it's, it's just, it changes everything. And also actually reminds me of something. I was watching this YouTube video the other day and it was talking about the toolbox fallacy. Have you ever heard of the toolbox fallacy? Uh, I feel like it sounds familiar, but I'd love to uh, say more. And I think I'll. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool concept. And it's, it's one of those things that, it's a fancy name for something I think a lot of us already think about. The toolbox fallacy is when, all right, the situation of a person says, I'll give you an example, person driving a cab, right? They're driving a taxi, wanting to own their own limo company one day, right? But they say, they say oh, I, don't, I just don't have the money. When I have enough money, then I'll start my business. Or when I have enough time, then I'll start my business. Or when I have enough credentials, then I'll do this. Or that, And, and like, they're never going to do it because it's always going to be, oh, when I have this next thing and they're never going to get to that point where they say, okay, I have enough things, I'll do it now. And so the toolbox fallacy is, is basically thinking that I need more tools in my toolbox to be able to do the thing that I really want to do down the road. But the truth is you, you never really get there. You have to eventually just go, no, I'm just going to go ahead and do it in spite of not having X, Y, and Z. And so I think we do that a lot with creativity. We say, well, when I have more time, then I'll design a game. Oh, when I have, you know, when my kids get older or when, when my spouse goes on vacation or when my job isn't quite as stressful or, you know, insert excuse here. But the truth is, if you really want to do it, you just do it. I mean, you, you make the time, you be intentional, you schedule, you do these different things. Otherwise, you're just kind of perpetually in that mode of, oh, I'll do it someday. I'll do it when. And that day's never going to come. And I think it's something that's important for creative people, especially just to recognize and then try to get out of. Yeah, you are absolutely right there. Um, along those lines, one of the other things I've tried to remove from my vocabulary, or at least catch myself whenever I say it or think it, is uh, the any phrase that starts with "I wish I had," um, because I can't change the past. But if I find one of those phrases like "I wish I had done this" or "I wish I had done that," uh, or "We should have uh, gone to this thing" or "Done this thing," I can't change that. But I will listen to that and make sure that in the future, I don't have that same I wish moment because I put something off because I chose not to do something because it wasn't a priority uh, to me. Um, I try to avoid as many of those in my life as possible because since I don't have a time machine, I can't change the past. uh, I want to make sure that I'm at least taking every opportunity that I can to um, reach some of those goals and to reach in that toolbox and, and pull out what I need, even if I don't have it. 
Yeah, for sure. One of the things I learned probably I think while I was in college, maybe even high school, was this idea of I would much rather say, oh, well, than what if, mm. you know, and to put myself out there and maybe I'm going to fail. Maybe I'm going to fail magnificently, but at least I can say, oh, well, oh, well, it didn't work out versus hmm, I wonder what if, what if I had done this or done that? I wonder what would have happened. I, I don't want to say that. And so I think, you know, creativity is kind of the same thing. Like say, oh, well, oh, well, that art sucked. <laughs> oh, well, that game was awful. But at least I don't have to say, what if, what if that game could have been good? It's just better, a better way to live in my opinion. I, I absolutely agree. I, uh, um, with my kids, one of the things that we've removed from their vocabulary is, uh, I can't phrases, or at least they get called out when they use it. I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah, you can try it. And only if you try it and then you don't succeed, then will I let you say it. But if you say it without trying it, then none of us really know whether or not you can or cannot uh, be successful at that. I think a little healthy optimism and uh, uh, willingness to put yourself out there and at least try something and thinking it'll succeed and then finding that it doesn't is better than uh, thinking something won't succeed and not even trying it because you'll never you'll never achieve anything that way. Yeah, definitely. I have the same rule in my house. When my kids say I can't, it's like, well, hold on, you can't. Well, why not? <laughs> you mean you don't want to? Oh, okay. See, that's a different scenario. And we just kind of walk through the, again, the, the vocabulary. Let's Let's use our words you know, intentionally and that kind of thing. I'd use the same in my classroom. We could say, I can't. It's like, let's, hold on. You can't? Why not? I'm not asking you to, to jump over a building. You can't do that. You know, <laughs> you, you can turn in your essay on time. You know, <laughs> that's that's very much in your capability, you know. But just, again, we, we act like the universe is happening to us. And this reminds me of football. You know, when you're on offense, you know, you, you get tackled all the time. You know, you've got the ball, you get tackled. But one of my, the best coaches I ever had, he said, never get hit. If you have the ball, never get hit. Always deliver the blow. Always hit the other person. Lower your shoulder. Make them not want to tackle you the next play. And I thought, you know, what if we just live like that? Instead of life happening to me, instead, I'm happening yeah. to life. And I'm living intentionally. And I, I am delivering the blow. Life's not going to hit me. I'm going to hit it. And just thinking through, like, what does that look like? And that's going to look very different for different people in different scenarios, different situations, and you know, all that. But what does it look like just for each individual person to go, life's not going to happen to me. I'm going to happen to life. It's a goofy song I remember from years ago. It's talking about how Particle Man, when he gets, let's see, when he jumps in the water, he doesn't get wet. The water gets him instead. I'm like, what a group, you know, it's like, what a goofy little thing. But like, what does that look like? You know, when I jump in the water, I don't get wet. The water gets me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or the other day at the basketball game, I'm playing in this, uh, this league with a bunch of friends here from the school. And uh, it was the fourth quarter, and we were down by like five or six points, something like that. And I, we were in the huddle, like about to go out for the fourth quarter. And I was like, hey, guys, we don't get tired. Tired gets us. And they all looked at me, and we all smiled, and we broke it, and we went in the game. I was like, that's right. We don't get tired. Tired gets us. So what does it look like to happen to life as opposed to letting it happen to you? I don't know. It's just it's kind of the way my brain works. I, no, I think that's a fantastic phrase. That's, there's actually something that we uh, use as part of the curriculum within my company. Uh, it's a course. Uh, called the drama triangle, and I think it I think it's rooted in a book. And I apologize, I can't think of the name of it or the author. But the concept of the drama triangle is that there are three different vertices that different people can live in, uh, which actually creates drama. And the idea is to shift your perspective and look at the three vertices as uh, something that you can do, as opposed to something that can happen to you. And the the biggest ones that we talk the most about are uh, there's a point of that triangle that is uh, the victim. And so in the drama triangle, if you say, woe is me, this happened to me, or I can't, or uh, other people are doing this, uh, you put yourself into a victim mindset. And instead, uh, we teach everyone in, in, in shifting their language and their thought process and their um, attitude into a creator mindset. So it's the same corner of that triangle. But now, instead of saying people are doing those things to me, now you turn into, I, I'm experiencing this, and the way that I'm going to get past it is to uh, create this opportunity for myself or create this change in my life. 
which is probably what listeners uh, are thinking about right now as they're uh, trying to figure out how do I actually focus on the thing that I want to create uh, when uh, I'm busy during the day with my job. How do I create that time for it? Uh, it should be shifting over to, from that victim mentality of I'm out of time to how can I create time to do what I love to do? Yeah, absolutely. And this reminds me of another conversation I had with my 12th graders a few weeks ago. And we were talking about, they were complaining about all the things they have to do right now. And they've got a lot going on. They're seniors. You know, life is super busy when you're a senior. You got a lot, especially here in Honduras, they have every single Saturday, they're required to do these like social work hours kind of things where they go up in the mountains and they help with different things. But that means, that means six days a week are spent doing school stuff. And it's just a lot going on. And they were talking about how much they have to do. And I stopped them. I said, well, hold on. What if we just flip around the language? Instead of saying, I have to do this. What if you said, I get to do this? Oh, I have to study for this test. Oh, hold on. I get to study for this test because there's millions of people around the world, billions of people that don't get to study for tests because they don't have access to school. There are a lot of people out there that don't get to do 99% of the things you are saying you have to do. And like, what do you, what do you, you know, changing your perspective and changing your language, just, I mean, it changes your mentality. I think that's scientifically proven. Your words create the way you feel. And so, you know, going from an I have to mindset into an I get to, I have to play test this game. No, no, I get to. I get to play test this game and try to make it better. I think that just changes everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Now, one thing that came up a moment ago when you were talking about um, being intentional and that kind of thing is, is measuring time and being smart about like how much time you're putting in different things. And if you were to measure, if anybody was to measure how much time they spend during the day, they would find a lot more time because we waste a lot. Now, one thing that's helped me, I've got an app on my phone that'll tell me how much time I'm spending doing different things. It's like, oh, you spent this much time this week on Facebook. Ooh, that's a... That's an ugly number. I need to lower that for next week. But it's that kind of idea of like what gets measured gets changed. And I'm sure you notice that with your consulting. And so have you done anything in, in your life to kind of help you measure your time or measure what you're doing and then, you know, get better as you as you go? Yeah, from a measurement standpoint, uh, I haven't used any of those apps. But at that time when uh, I recognized I wasn't spending the time that I wanted with my kids and felt like, oh, I'm not having that opportunity. I think that was when I started to informally uh, measure that. Uh, instead of measuring the thing that I've looked at the most often is what behaviors am I, uh, what behaviors am I demonstrating? And is that creating the opportunity that I want for my priorities? Uh, an example of that is as simple as where am I sitting or where am I at any given point in time? And what do I have in my hands? If I have my phone in my hands, I'm not working on game design. Actually, if my phone's in my hands, I'm almost certainly uh, I would say 90% of the time, not doing anything that is truly a priority to me. Uh, so that is one of the behaviors that I look for is what am I holding and where am I sitting? Um, if I'm on my couch uh, at home, I'm actually okay with that as long as my personal laptop, uh, my game, uh, which is what I use for game design, as long as that is on my lap. If that's on my lap and open, then 90% of the time I am act actively working on game design or something that's moving that forward. Uh, so while I haven't used any of those apps, I, I do love that as a suggestion and uh, just uh, one thing that hasn't um, necessarily been something that I've tried is uh, rather looking at my behaviors and where I'm ending up at a given point in time. And am I setting myself up to be in the position I want to work on the things I want to, or am I setting myself up to distract myself? Yeah, that's great. And it sounds like, you know, you're creating behaviors that will then turn into habits, right? And so doing different things that turn into habits that create success. I read an article a while back and it talked about the difference between goals and habits. And the, the author was saying how it's better to create habits that 
create long-term success versus, you know, mm -hmm. creating a list of goals that you then try to accomplish. It's like, well, why don't you live a life or in your, in your case, change behaviors to the point where success is just inevitable. You're going to check off those goals because you've created habits in yourself that when I do this, this other thing happens. When, when I'm at home, I put my phone over here as a habit when I do that. And that way I don't get distracted during that. And that's, that's going to lead to success, maybe more so than just creating a long list of goals and then hopefully, you know, trying to get them done. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. I think, uh, I think I might've read the same book you're referring to. Now, another thing I've seen recently, and, and tell me kind of you, if you've done any of these tactics or strategies or whatnot, as far as your schedule, Michael Hyatt, who was the CEO of a major book publisher some years ago, now he runs his own website and he does a lot of leadership and different things like that. Um, but one thing he talked about was creating a schedule of what is basically your perfect week. So sitting down and thinking, okay, Sunday, morning through Saturday night, a perfect week for me looks like this. And it's not like pie in the sky, rainbows and uni unicorns week of like perfect, but like a normal week. Okay. I have to be at my job from this time to this time. I have to do, you know, I've got church on Sunday, maybe Wednesday night, whatever it is. I'm going to put these different things into my, my schedule. But then all of a sudden you find all this extra time that maybe you normally just watch cat videos on YouTube or you just flip, you know, you flip through the Netflix trailers. That's one, one thing that sucks up my time sometimes, uh, if I'm just being honest. I won't even watch Netflix. I'll just watch all those trailers and just kind of see what's on and then eventually not watch anything and go do something else. It's like, I just wasted 45 minutes watching trailers. Anyway, huge waste of time. But And so you find all these things by creating a schedule of your perfect week. Now, life is going to happen. Kids are going to get sick. You know, your job's going to send you somewhere else this week and, you you know, the commute's longer, whatever it is. That's obviously going to happen. But have you done anything to like create a schedule that then you can say, okay, this time to this time, this day and this day, I do these things. Like, has that helped? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that is one thing I recommend both for the short term and for the long term. So when I think about uh, the, one of the first things on my calendar every week, uh, Monday morning, uh, I've got it set at, I think, 9 o'clock or 9.30 when I know I will have been in the office uh, just in case there's any delay. The very first thing I've got in my week is weekly planning. And it's blocked off so no one else can take that time. I go through my uh, consulting company calendar. I go through my client's calendar. And I go through my personal calendar. And I uh, look through all three for the course of that week. And I ask myself, where do I have to be and when? And that opens up for me all of those gaps or the things that uh, I have available to me. I then also think about personally, what am I doing these nights? What do kids have a soccer game that I'll be going to? Uh, do my wife and I schedule a date night? Am I going to this particular uh, gaming group with friends? All of those end up on the calendar as well. And then I still have a lot of large blocks in evenings or weekends that don't have anything that's permanently scheduled. That's where I start to fit in. Okay, I'm going to work on game design tonight from 7 to 9 and tomorrow night from 9 to 11 and uh, Saturday afternoon. I don't have the kids that weekend, uh, but I've committed to these things in the morning or that in the evening. So I'm going to block off this window instead. That's how I tend to look at things is at the start of the week. I will actually fill those in. And that means that I've committed to work on that at those times. And I've created that expectation uh, with my family as well. Uh, but they're, they know that they're getting dedicated time for me. And then I'm also dedicating uh, time towards these other things that are important to me as well. Uh, there's also what, what I think of as the uh, the time that we all forget about. 
And uh, within the course of a week, um, some of the things that I think a lot of us forget about or take for granted are our commute. Uh, most of my listening of the BG, BGDL podcast, uh, Gabe comes while I'm in my car, driving to or from my client or taking the train down to the city to go to my uh, consulting company's office. That's when I tend to hear uh, most of the podcasts. So a lot of my game design from BGDL and Ludology and others have come while driving or taking a train. Another big area where I tend to focus on uh, that I think is time that can be taken advantage of is uh, lunch. Uh, I do try to break away from my desk when I can. Sometimes I go with coworkers, but I also try to go to lunch on my own once or twice a week. And when I do that, I turn off the uh, client clock and actually focus on uh, game design. So I will be down at lunch in the cafeteria, I'll find a quiet corner, and I keep a bunch of small notebooks in my bag that I will pull out and any sort of idea that I've got for any of my games, I'll jot down uh, a bunch of things I want to try out at the next playtest group or when I'm back home in front of the game design laptop or whatever the case may be, uh, I will make sure that I'm using that time as well. So taking advantage of some of those times like a commute, like lunch, uh, uh, like other downtime like that that we think is dedicated towards something else, finding a way to, um, I hate saying multitask because it's not really a thing that you can do is multitasking. Your brain's really focused on one thing, but uh, finding a way to use some of those other windows that we don't think of as free and using those for game design has been one of my big uh, tricks for making sure that I'm always moving forward on uh, something during those windows. Yeah, for sure. I was talking to a girl in one of my classes the other day and she said, Mr. Barrett, I need you to help me. I, I need some motivation. And I said, you don't need motivation. You need a schedule. You just <laughs> you schedule it. What do you, whatever you want to get done, schedule it, put it on the calendar. And then when it hits that day and that time, you just sit down and you just start working on it. And I promise you, it, you'll, you'll get more done than if you just sit around waiting to be motivated or waiting to be inspired. Don't, don't do it. If you think about professionals, the difference that sets apart amateurs and professionals is the schedule. A professional writer says at 9 a.m., I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write. And I, it, whether I'm inspired or motivated or not, doesn't matter because this is my job versus an amateur that says, ah, you know, I'll write when I feel like it. When I, when, when the muse arrives, then, you know, and kind of gives me the words to say, then I'll write. Well, that's, that's, that's not going to happen here. It's going to take you forever to finish a book if you ever finish it at all versus Stephen King, who writes a book every week, it seems like, right? Because the man is a professional and he has a schedule and he's probably a little bit obsessive. That probably also is a factor in there. But it's creating a schedule. Now, another thing, just thinking about common physics, objects at rest yes. stay at rest. And so if you're at rest, you're likely to stay there. But if you can get yourself into motion, an object in motion stays in motion. And so one thing I found that's super helpful with the scheduling is saying, okay, at, at this night, at this time, I'm going to do something. And I might be exhausted. I might not feel good. But I'm saying, hey, this is this is the time and, and, and day that I scheduled. And so I'm going to just start. I'm just trying to do something. I'm going to move some cubes around. I'm going to uh, prototype some cards the best I can. And then all of a sudden, an hour and a half goes by and it's, oh, wow, where'd the time go? Because I, I, if I can get into motion, I can stay in motion. But it's about, you know, getting that catalyst to kind of get going. And I think a schedule is a great way to do it. You say, hey, this is this is what I do. And so, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that my uh, wife has gotten very used to, um, I have a very variable bedtime. Uh, and the reason for it is on the nights when I am working on game design, uh, my schedule or what I commit to is uh, I want to accomplish this before I call it a night. And sometimes I'll finish that early so I can go to bed on the earlier side. And sometimes that takes me two, two and a half hours longer than intended. Uh, but uh, by setting that miniature goal and saying, I'm not going to get up until I'm done with this thing uh, has made a huge difference because that means that any time that I have blocked off that time to 
uh, accomplish something in game design, not just work on it, but truly get one thing done uh, by staying there until I finish it or doing that towards the end of the day where I had that that flexibility to spill into, uh, essentially I'm stealing from uh, sleep, um, which I try to make up later, but uh, that, that really helps me um, check something off that box, right, of the to-do list to move things forward. Yeah, for sure. Now, when you're on your commute, do you have any apps or any tricks as far as like being able to write down notes or ideas or anything like that? Because, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, listen to the show in the car and not exactly a, a great place to try to sit down and, and go into a journal or anything like that. That's dangerous. And so like, what do you do <laughs> right. when you have ideas? I will uh, open up or I will use the voice command to open up the notes app. And I have a lot of lot of notes in my phone that look and sound ridiculous because of the voice translation from uh, Siri, but uh, anytime I have an idea like that that I want to get in there, I will uh, throw on that uh, voice recording to record that into the Notes app. Uh, that tends to be my my common way to get those logged. Uh, and then about every if I know I did one for a game I'm working on, I'll make sure I look at it that night. Uh, what is always fun is about every three months I'll look back just at the history of the notes I made, and I keep realizing, oh, I've got three or four or five other game designs I haven't started working on yet that I've got that seed of a, what if you did this uh, in there? So I know I've got a great list just from commutes of using that, uh, using Siri to translate into a, just a simple note on the phone, uh, my thoughts. And, and that's been uh, a great way to capture those so that way none of that gets lost. Gotcha. Now, one thing you've mentioned a couple times so far is your wife and your kids and them knowing, you know, that, that dad's going to be doing this at certain days, certain times. So tell me a little bit more about the help that you get from people around you. Because I think that's a huge factor as well. Like my wife is super helpful. My kids are very understanding for game design time and understand that, hey, dad's doing like right now. I'm doing a podcast <laughs> right now. And they know they can't be on, you know, don't use Netflix and, and use up all the bandwidth on the Internet. Don't make too much noise outside the door. Like they're helping me out right now. And I've got a tremendous amount of help. So like tell me about how the help structure works in, in your life to kind of make sure you're, you're getting things done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, both my wife and I are a huge fan of hobbies. We share some together, like uh, tennis and going through for walks around the neighborhood and uh, enjoying you know, date nights out occasionally. Uh, but we've also got uh, our own hobbies as well that are uh, separate that we don't necessarily participate in. Uh, but we recognize the, the value that they bring to each other and that they help to make us a better person. So we respect those and encourage those uh, whenever possible. Uh, like she likes to do Pilates. Uh, it's not something that I enjoy, but I'm always encouraging her to go out and do that next Pilates class because I know she enjoys it once she gets out of it. It's the same way with uh, game design. She sees how excited I am about it, how passionate I am about it. Uh, I will say uh, once I got several designs in, uh, she did call out, all right, you need to make one of these a reality and uh, stop just creating new ones, uh, which is why I did shift to focus to to bring one to, to real life that's uh, heading to Kickstarter. Uh, next month, which I guess we'll uh, talk about later. But um, yeah, we're both very supportive of each other's hobbies. And then from a kid's perspective, uh, I was actually very intentional when I started in game design to uh, plan to design with the intent to self-publish uh, at least one of the games. And the reason that I wanted to do that was to involve my kids to a degree. Uh, long ago, I had owned a business for a couple of years, which is something I enjoyed, but didn't want to make my uh, day job ever again. Uh, owning, a, owning a business and relying on that wholly for my uh, livelihood. But I really enjoyed a lot of aspects about it. And um, when I decided to get into game design, the idea of taking something from idea, 
to finish product really excited me. And I wanted to involve my kids in that. So that way they could get a feel for what it takes to uh, bring any of the things that they're consuming today from an idea state all the way to a realization state. And uh, they've all leaned in in different ways. They're all excited about it. Two of my kids, uh, one of my teenage boys and my 10-year-old daughter, uh, have actually started to design some of their own games as well. So sometimes they'll help dad with prototyping or with uh, cutting out uh, cards or pieces or putting things together. Uh, one of my boys actually went to Gen Con with me a couple of years ago, or a couple of years to uh, run playtests in the first exposure playtest hall. Um, but uh, the passion that they show for it is exciting um, because it's something that we can do together. So while uh, I didn't necessarily know if they would uh, be as excited to participate in game design, a couple of them are leaning in and it actually creates these family activities that we can uh, do together, which allows me to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something I found value in as well. My, my oldest daughter, Maria, she's super creative. She loves art and drawing and, and Good Lord, the girl loves putting glitter on everything. And so I have to just like hide the glitter. I hate glitter, but she loves it. And so that's been a, a point of tension in our house. It's like, stop putting glitter on everything. It gets on me and it's there forever. But uh, I've been able to find some really cool time to spend with her in kind of this crossover of I'm working on a game, maybe prototyping or whatever, and then asking her, I say, hey, you know, you might help me cut these things out. And there's actually been times where I've had a lot to do. And I'll say, I will pay you. I will pay you, you know, five bucks an hour to help me cut these things out. And then we're spending time together. You're making a little extra money. We're having some fun. She's getting in, involved in the process. And so it, it kind of, it's the best of all worlds, right? Where you're spending time with your family and you're getting some things done and you're having fun and being creative. I, I think that's just a, a perfect uh, scenario. And so scheduling that out as well. Now, a lot of times game design happens at 11 o'clock at night. And so she's not awake. And so, you know, scheduling that during the day is obviously helpful. As well, but I think you know finding time to cross over. Or my wife has been great to help me playtest certain games. You know the, the ones that she enjoys, and she enjoys beating me at. Uh, you know, and, and just spending time together doing that. I think that can be super helpful. Now I know a lot of people don't have that luxury. You know, a lot of people are, are married to people that aren't into games, or you know, maybe you're not married at all. Maybe you're just single. And, and but I feel like there's any way you can cross over these worlds, then then it's a great way uh, to great way to get get a lot of things done at the same time. And so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, one funny side story with my daughter, I was putting together a bunch of uh, preview copies to send out to uh, for preview videos for the Kickstarter. And I ordered all the stuff from a couple of the prototyping companies around America, but I had forgotten there was one supply that I just had from a random uh, bit of cubes that I got from Amazon. And I realized I didn't have enough of those cubes to load up the games because my daughter's prototype had uh, used a ton of them, and I had uh, not not accounted for that. And her big brother said, well, why don't you just go take her game apart? She doesn't need them. <laughs> so that's, that's the last thing I'm going to do. So I ended <laughs> up having to order another bucket of those uh, <laughs> to get enough of those cubes to get sent to, a full copy sent out to those previewers. But uh, yeah, yeah, I want to respect, uh, they respect what I'm doing, and I want to respect what they're working on as well. Absolutely. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. So, you know, my, my kids are using too many of my prototype materials. I think it's a good problem. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, you mentioned your game uh, Legacies. Now, one thing that I've been that I've found some success in is lately I've been designing a lot of solo mode games, single player games, and games that take thirty minutes or less to play. And so that kind of really fits inside. I got so much going on, but I can I can design these light, you know, solo games a lot easier than I could some kind of big grandiose hour and a half two hour experience. But now Legacies is is it's a bigger game. It's got a lot going on. You and I have chatted about it in the past and talked through some things. And so how in the world, walk me through your process of designing a big game, you know, on the side, in spite of all your other responsibilities and, and things you got going on. 
Yeah, I think with Legacies, I had no idea when I first thought of it that it would end up being a big game. I have some that range from a 30-minute playtime to I have a 4X game that's currently playing at eight hours that needs some work and scaling down. I didn't know Legacies was going to be big when I started it. But once I started having some of the play tests, I I did learn pretty quickly. All right, this is going to be a uh, a euro, and it's going to be on the heavier side, uh, mid to heavyweight euro. Uh, so what ended up happening was I'd start focusing on uh, a very specific mechanic or interactions in the game. And anytime I sat down to work on designs, while there's a ton of integration and a lot of moving parts, and one lever moves two or three or four other levers in the game, I would look at the interaction between one element of the game and another. And from a design perspective, those would be the things I would focus on. Uh, as I've gotten to the point where I am now with the plans to kickstart it, I have to look at this. I've been looking at the system as a whole, which definitely is a lot more time. And there are a lot more aspects to uh, focus on. Since I'm intending to self-publish, I've got a, I'm working very closely with a phenomenal artist in Greece uh, who goes by Yoma. And our interactions back and forth are frequent uh, and important. And, um, so, uh, just all of these little elements that require that attention, I've had to start creating, uh, many, many lists and picking one or two or three things from those lists, uh, that I would, uh, need to accomplish. And, uh, when I give the example of on a given night, I would tell my wife, all right, I will go to bed. Once I finish this thing, it's something important from that list, uh, that I needed to finish. And all of those are, bite size. Uh, anything on the list is anything I can tackle in uh, five minutes to three hours is usually how I structure something that I have to do or have to accomplish. Uh, and then I have done some prioritization of those lists as well, where uh, uh, there are times where my artist needs something from me to be able to keep moving forward. Like right now, he's waiting for a couple of uh, pieces of or examples of what I want for art on a couple of heirloom cards that are going to be in the game. So I need to go out and find some examples of that on the internet and pass those his way so he knows roughly what I'm looking for. Uh, that's at the top of my list right now to work on because I know he can't move forward until he has those from me. Uh, so trying to break those down into distinct parts that can take just a few minutes to a couple of hours and then figuring out which ones others are relying on me for are the two biggest ways I've really broken that down and, and focused on specific areas. The one bad thing about the game being as large as it is, is I've put a lot of my other designs on the back burner, uh, uh, which I'm eager to bring back to the front and start to uh, continue to work on again. Yeah, very cool. So age old saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> and I think breaking down bigger games, bigger projects into smaller bite-sized pieces, one, it helps you finish at all. And a lot of times we get overwhelmed. You're saying, oh man, I have so much to do. I'll just not do anything, mm. <laughs> which is, is kind of a common thing for a lot of people. I know I've run into that several times. I have so much to do. I'm just going to lay here on the couch. <laughs> and that's, you know, we just get overwhelmed. And so I think finding a way to break things down. And so if you think about a game, like especially a big game, an hour and a half game, two hour game plus, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to design. There's a lot going on. But if you really break it down, it's like, well, it's it's a movement system and it's a combat system and it's a card system. And, and like you break it down into the systems and the mechanisms into the parts. And all of a sudden you can just work on one of those things at a time. And then as you get more done, you combine them and see how they work together. And then that's another. But again, that's small. It's bite sized chunks. I think that's, that's something to help that would help a lot of people. Uh, one, I think a lot of people come into game design wanting design to design Twilight Imperium the next you know edition. It's like, well, that is 
a little bit big for your first game, is it not? Or they want to design a deck builder as their first game, which is, you know, more power to you. But deck builders are extraordinarily difficult to design. Mm. There's so much going on and, you know, a lot of cards and a lot of card play and all that stuff. Like, maybe that's too big. And so I think one thing is people can maybe lower the scope of what they're trying to design early on. But then two, just if they do have a bigger game, break it down into smaller pieces and it's get, it gets a lot easier to finish. Yeah, I agree. Most of my designs are smaller in scope and that is where I started. It was only based on the positive feedback from playtesting once Legacies started to get out there and the excitement I got about it that it turned out that a big game would be my first one. Uh, I don't regret it, but uh, it definitely, uh, I definitely had that intent to start small uh, as opposed to big. Yeah. Now, start to finish, or basically start to where you are now, getting ready for the Kickstarter. How long have you been working on Legacies? I started on Legacies in December of 2017, so nearly two years. Okay, cool. And because that's that's one thing I think a lot of people yeah, they, they get discouraged because the game's taking a long time to complete and that kind of thing. When you're doing this on the side, you know, stealing 20 minutes here, an hour there, it just takes a long time, especially if you have a bigger game. Now, looking back, is there any anything you would change, anything you would do differently that you think would have sped up your process? Mm, that is a great question. With this game, I would actually say, uh, yes, there is one thing that I could have done to speed up the process, and that would have been to put some of the other designs that I worked on over the last two years to the side. I'm actually glad that I didn't do that because those other designs, which I continued to move forward, gave me the breaks that I needed uh, while still flexing that game design muscle. Uh, they're uh, one of the biggest challenges I had with a big game. There are a lot of other great designers here in the Chicagoland area, and uh, we don't. We've all been getting together to play test each other's games, but many of theirs are twenty to thirty minute games, and mine was not. It's a roughly a, a two hour or so game. And uh, I always knew that I was taking much more of their time to test the game uh, than I was giving back to test theirs. So adding smaller ones into the mix and being able to contribute in the uh, designer and playtesting community with games that were comparable sizes to uh, all of the other designers, I think was an important one to show um, uh, my colleagues or others who have the same passion that uh, uh, that I'm just as eager and interested in, in, in playing their games and working on uh, smaller, lighter designs myself uh, as I am focusing on that bigger one as well. So while that could have sped up the process by putting those other couple of designs I worked on on the side, I, I think it actually worked out better for me to continue to try to move those forward uh, because sometimes it would just give my brain that break that it needed um, on working from some of the problems that I may have been encountering in Legacies uh, to work out alternative or new or, or fresh solutions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when you've got a bigger game, one thing I found success in is instead of doing a two-hour playtest, is just starting in the middle and going middle to end or going from beginning to middle and things like that. That way I'm being respectful of other people's time and I'm getting data and things like that. Did you Did you do any things like that as far as starting in the middle or starting a third of the way through or, or anything? Yeah, I've done that uh, quite a few times in my playtests. One of the things that worked out really well for me at uh, Gen Con, where I bought some space in the first exposure playtest hall, which I would highly recommend for any designer who is looking or having a problem finding uh, playtesters who like their style of game or who are available for their game. Uh, that was a great experience getting exactly the right types of people. But when I bought those blocks, I scheduled them so they would be back to back. And what that allowed me to do was spend 45 minutes on a teach and introducing people to the game uh, of Legacies at the start of one of those sessions. They'd play out 
about half of the rounds over the course of the remainder of that two hour window, and then they would leave the game set up. So that second group that came in actually picked up right where that first group left off, uh, inheriting their progress, but being able to now start in the middle of the game and work their way towards the end of the game, uh, helping with the playtest of those experiences as well. Yeah, that's a really smart way to do it, especially if you're at a pro spiel or umpub or anything like that, where you just let the next group inherit, like you say, inherit the uh, <laughs> the previous group's uh, progress, especially in a game called Legacies. I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. One uh, note about that uh, with conventions, uh, I mentioned earlier that I've got a short-term way of making sure I'm focused on game design, but a long-term way as well. If you were to look at my calendar, going three, six, nine months out right now, the main things that you would see out in the distance are conventions and protospiels and playtest events that I intend to go to. Uh, I've either signed up for them or I've paid for them or I've locked my calendar if I can't yet register for them. So I now know, all right, three months from now, I'm going to be at this protospiel. And to be able to get any value out of that, I know I need to have this design up to this point and ready to test out these things. Or I'm going to Gen Con and taking you know, two or three designs to test out over several blocks there. So I need to have advanced all of them to a certain state so that way it's valuable. By putting those on my calendar, I accomplished two things. One, I know where I'm going to be and when and effectively have a hard deadline to work towards. So it's never, am I going to work on game design tonight? It's, or today or whatever the case is, it's what aspect am I going to work on to make sure I'm working towards uh, that thing that I've already committed to and I've spent money on and I've blocked on my calendar to go to. Um, I now know I'm working towards that. The other thing that that does for me is, uh, personally, it's helped both uh, from a, it's helped from a family and a work scheduling standpoint as well. So, my wife or my kids know, all right, dad's going to be doing this thing on this weekend, uh, so he's not going to be around, or we're going to um, if we're going to schedule a vacation. Those things actually will come around <laughs> around the game design conventions or protospiels. Uh, because I've committed to those so far out in the future. And that's actually worked out really well uh, for us from a scheduling standpoint. Yeah, definitely. What gets scheduled gets done. And anytime you can create a system that has deadlines, you know, it's like your mother-in-law's coming over for dinner, man. You got to get the house clean. You know, it's the same thing with, with uh, protospiels or, or conventions where you, hey, this game has to get to a certain point to be able to take it. I've already spent money. I got time. I got a booth set up or a table I've rented or whatever. I got to get this stuff done. Same with game contests, right? I got to turn this thing in by a certain day because I want to have my, my name in the hat as far as or hat in the ring, hat in the ring as far as being able to to win this contest. And I think anytime you can create deadlines that are real deadlines, more than just saying, uh, I want to finish this by tomorrow. Well, well why? Be- because, reasons. Like if you have a real reason, it gives you more uh, energy to get, get the thing to a better place. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I wanted to circle back on uh, that we were talking earlier around my day job and uh, ways to use that time during there. Uh, one of the things I, I don't know if all of us think about are ways that we can actually use our day job or our coworkers to our advantage when it comes to uh, game design. Uh, I've actually, first, I never talked about my hobbies much at work. And then I realized by talking about hobbies at work, it helps to make people more real and connect better and uh, also help people recognize that work is not the only reason that we're all here or what we're all focused on in, in life. Like, there's much more to us as, as humans. And by talking about my hobbies at work, it's helped me with a couple of things. One is create awareness around this upcoming Kickstarter. So I now have 
people who maybe aren't game players but are excited about me and the hobbies I've been talking about and uh, can't wait to see that online and might ultimately become backers. Uh, but I've been able to talk with them about their hobbies as well. As an example, at my client right now, there's someone who uh, bakes a lot of the time. There's someone who goes thrifting and sells these uh, custom design of thrifted outfits online. Uh, and uh, we've all got these unique hobbies and it's helped to build this bond that we all find ways to support each other for. Even at the consulting company that I work for, I've been there for now 14 years. And uh, one of the things that I asked uh, one of my coworkers was, hey, I've been working on game design and I knew that we sometimes do things to try to bring our people together after work. What would you think of me bringing in a bunch of my designs and giving people the opportunity to uh, see what happens behind the curtain when it comes to game design? And they loved it and ran with it. So the earlier this year, we actually had an event at my company where over 30 people came in at five different designs, uh, including two copies of Legacies, two copies of a, uh, another game, and, and uh, three solo copies of the others. And it was amazing because our huge kitchen and our corporate downtown office was just filled with uh, people playing all of those designs and providing feedback uh, on them as well. So I ended up being able to use my um, uh, coworkers in my office and just that idea of building a culture around uh, our people and supporting them outside of work to get a ton of playtests in and a ton of great data and build up some of that excitement around uh, my hobby and, and what's uh, uh, what's valuable to me and what I enjoy and uh, bringing a lot of joy to others as well. So uh, I, I don't know how many of us actively talk about what we do on the side at work, but I, you know, don't sell that short and um, consider uh, using that to your advantage. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I've had similar success with, with people I work with here at the school, the Final Flick tier, which, which just came out and actually the week of us recording this, uh, the reason it was able to move along as fast as it did in the development process is because I had so many teacher friends that were helping me play test and they were coming over, you know, once or twice a week and play testing the game once or twice a night on those times. And so I was able to speed up the game uh, development process a ton just because they were helping me out with it way faster than I could have done, you know, on my own or, or trying to get other people from around to, to do it. Like they, they were such a huge, huge help. In that, and if you can go to lunch, you know, you got people that you work with. If you go to lunch and just talk about games and game design and kind of keep mm -hmm. the juices flowing, that's just a, a great, great way to do it. Now, any other tips and tricks that you have for people to make time to, you know, schedule things, anything else? I think ultimately it comes back to that attitude, right? Of if it's important to me, uh, am I truly prioritizing it? Where am I spending that time? And um, if game design really is a passion of yours, if it's something that you want to see, something that you want to achieve, you've got to put that time into it. And uh, the only way to do that is to, to schedule it, to find something else that you're uh, not as interested in uh, or maybe you're wasting time on and finding ways to uh, prioritize game design ahead of that and, and make it something that you schedule, something that you do, something you move forward with. And the other part of that attitude thing is uh, not thinking, will I work on game design at this point? time, it will be, what am I going to do from a game design aspect at this time? And once you get that momentum, you really hit that nail on the head earlier. Once you get momentum, you've got it. It just becomes a habit and something that you enjoy doing. And anytime I've gone a couple of days without working on any of my designs, I, I'm, uh, I find myself chomping at the bit and, and <laughs> just dying to get back into it and wanting to spend a ton of hours the next night that I work on it. Uh, but it really is something that I try to insert in most days of the week, even if it is just a small window. And uh, by doing that and making a regular thing of what you're doing, uh, then uh, the results, I think, uh, 
can be fantastic. And you look back over the period of time you've been doing it, you're like, wow, look at all the things that I've accomplished just over this a couple of weeks, a few months, or even a few years. Yeah, for sure. Now, are there some things that you're looking at as far as the future, some different habits, different scheduling ideas, anything that you're looking at as far as changing what you're doing now? Because you haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. We're not perfect yet by any stretch of the imagination. So what are some things you're thinking about now as far as going towards the future and doing this even better than you're doing it now? That's a great question. One of the things I'm trying to prioritize better outside of game design for myself is just my habits when it comes to exercise and working out. Uh, I've definitely let that slow just a little design over that. So that is one of the personal things that I'm looking to accomplish over the course of the next couple of years is reprioritizing that uh, and maybe chipping a tiny bit into my game design to prioritize that aspect. But the big thing that I want to focus on for me is if if uh, my Kickstarter is successful and I've got a game out there, I recognize that there's going to be a lot of work from a manufacturing process and getting the product out there and the customer support. So I want to make sure that uh, as a game public, I'm prioritizing the customer and making sure that I've built in time to be able to support and uh, deliver for anyone who uh, has backed the game, owns the game, has questions about the game, uh, and is looking to share more about the game with others. That's something that I haven't had to build in much time for yet. So prioritizing that and making sure I'm delivering for uh, you, you, the individuals that I design games for is going to be a big priority for me and making sure that that's something that I never lose sight of uh, will be very important. So that's a big focus area for me going forward. Yeah, absolutely. That was something that I've run into as I've had Kickstarters get out into the wild and uh, you, I feel like every day I'm dealing with something as far as, hey, my book didn't arrive. Hey, this game is damaged. Can you fit? Like, there's just all the customer service things that all of a sudden take up extra minutes each day that would have been used for, for something else. It's something that you, you definitely have to start prioritizing. But I want to go back to what you were saying about the, your health. Uh, it's one thing. It's one of those things that's real easy to just put on the back burner for a while until you can't, you know, a lot of people put health on the back burner until they realize they can anymore if they have a heart attack or something like that. And it kind of you know, brings it back to reality. But, you know, sleeping enough is one of my biggest challenges, especially right now. You know, so much going on and, and eventually I'll hit a wall and it's like, wow, I am, my brain does not want to work correctly. And I'll have to work to get more sleep and kind of get back. And I, I end up losing more time than I would have just because my, my brain's just kind of in a fog and that kind of thing, or, or people just not eating well, eating a lot of fast food, eating a lot of stuff that's not good for your, not, your, not, good, not good for your body, not good for your brain, or not exercising. All of those things together will actually slow you down long term versus just taking care of them in the moment and, and doing things you know daily or weekly or whatever that is. It's one of those, it's, uh, oh, there's this old story about this, this group of people, they were, they were farmers, and uh, they would go out in the field and they would have, they use the big sides to, to ch- cut down wheat and different things like that. And they would spend an hour working and then they would take an hour and then sharpen their blades and they go out and work for another hour and then they sharpen their blades for an hour back and forth because they, they found that they actually got a lot more done when they paused and sharpened their bright blades for a while and then went back to work as opposed to just whacking and whacking and whacking and whacking at the, at the, the, the crops, you know, cause eventually your, your blade gets dull and it, it doesn't work as effectively. And so you have to come back in and, and sharpen it. And so same thing, same kind of thing, take care of your body, take care of your health, your sleep, that kind of thing. You'll get more done long term, even if you see, you feel like you're getting less done in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, want to double down on that recommendation because actually at this time last year, I ended up having a two to three month hiatus from game design uh, at least working on any of the active designs because I was going through chemotherapy for cancer treatments myself. Oh, and man. from a 
energy standpoint, I only had enough energy to, I was able to still do my day job, luckily, uh, remotely, uh, what I had the energy for. And uh, during that time, uh, occasionally I would be up during the middle of the night, just based on some of the medications I was on, and I would uh, at least use my mind for game design. So I completely built out a whole brand new design in my mind in those two to three months while I was going through the treatments. Uh, but once they were done and once I got my energy back at the end of last year, uh, then I was going gung-ho into all my game design. And I feel like I've definitely caught up and then some on all of that missed opportunity from then. Uh, but that's why I want to reprioritize my uh, health because I've <laughs> put all of that effort into game design because I had a whole three months where I was just focused on recovering from that and uh, getting healthy again. So, but I'm all good now. And uh, that's a chapter in my life that's behind me and uh, better for it. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I am very glad you're on the other side of it and uh, things are all good health-wise now and, and you're designing cool games. Well, Jason, man, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Do you have any like closing thoughts, any kind of like lasting things you want to leave people listening to this with? You know, they're driving in their car right now. They're listening. Uh, they need one little nugget of advice as far as time management or, or you know, juggling all the different responsibilities. What's the main thing you tell them? Yeah. Uh, definitely. If you are listening in your car right now, or you're doing this while you're working out or on your commute, you're, or you've already taken the first step. So you're moving in the right direction, which is great. The one thing I want to tell you is you definitely have time for game design. If it's important to you, you have that time. It's just a matter of figuring out where that fits in with your other priorities. Uh, change that attitude, change that mindset, change the language that you're using, and you'll be able to uh, create that time for yourself and not find yourself in that victim mentality saying, oh, I wish I could, but I can't. So I won't. Definitely. Well, you got a game on Kickstarter right now. Give me the uh, two minute elevator pitch for legacies. Absolutely. Yes. I will lead with legacies is not a legacy style game. Uh, legacies is though a strategic Euro game, which actually spans 300 years. Uh, players get to choose from one of 10 unique characters from the early 19th century and then work to maximize that character's fame over the course of the next three centuries. Uh, players get to use a combination of multi-use cards and action drafting to create relationships, invest in industries, acquire heirlooms, and appoint successors to carry on the character's legacy. Uh, the game board actually visually evolves as you cross into each century, uh, thanks to my wonderful artist I mentioned earlier, Yoma. Legacies also has a high degree of replayability in that there are variable scoring tiles for each game, and you've got 10 characters to choose from. Uh, not only that, but each character actually has a double-sided board. So at the beginning of the game, you can choose to play a more Euro-style game by playing above board, or a more take-that-style game by playing underhanded. Awesome. Well, man, it sounds really cool. And like I said, we've, we've talked about it as you've kind of gone through the development process. It's been cool to kind of see it come to life, and I hope it does really well on Kickstarter. So good luck with the campaign and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much, Gabe. And uh, good luck for you and Hunted. Uh, hopefully by now it has uh, funded. I know I'm a backer and I'm super excited about it and the changes uh, that you're even actively working on to try to make it a two-player game. So I wish you all the best uh, with that as you're uh, going through that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games.
Did I mention keep playtesting?